Heidi Susan Finch here, your co-host for Love Your Team with our main host, Helen Fanucci. And this is our kickoff episode. And in episode one, we're going to be talking about how the pandemic has accelerated the shift to hybrid work. Company competitiveness is at stake. You guys know it, especially if you're trying to fill positions at your office. So as you said, March of 2020 prompted a wholesale shift to work from home. So a lot of companies struggled with this. Not everybody had computers or laptops for all their employees. And so we actually helped companies move their workers home from a technology point of view, provision them so that they could securely access their data and company assets. So it was a huge shift, a huge disruption for everybody. And what I noticed though too, and I'm sure we'll get into this later, the security aspect of companies that were not set up that had to provide, I just look at somebody like GoDaddy and Bluehost and some of those, and to be able to partition everything to still keep everything secure, but let their support people dig in and get in the back end of things. But they're doing this with a shared computer, sometimes with somebody that's sharing it with their high schooler that's also home and they're taking shifts sharing the same computer, the same internet connection with gamers in the house, three students, and somebody else working from home. The strain was enormous just from a technology standpoint. Yes, you bet. The bandwidth on a modem from home got strained for sure. And many people stopped using video during work meetings because their kids were either homeschooling or gaming or whatever they were doing. And you talked about security, and in fact, the cyber criminals have increased. There's been way more security attacks. So it's no small thing to provision a work-from-home workforce. And in fact, what we're seeing now is many companies that did workarounds to provision their staff quickly, they're now making work from home work permanently. And so they're shoring up their security and their ability to support remote work. Because after all, remote work is here to stay. It is. So a lot of us are listening to this saying, yeah, we know all that. We know all that. We've been living it. But part of the piece is that some companies have had a lot of success with it. Some have fallen on their face. Some have closed their doors. And a lot of it stems right from the whole purpose of this podcast. And it's how did the company, the sales managers, how did people support those folks that were suddenly never designed to work from home? That was never the plan originally. Yeah, well, that's a really good point. So it takes new skills, new skills to support a sales team. Many traditional sales managers were accustomed to having their sellers on a sales floor that they could watch, they could coach, they could help inspire. So it takes a lot of new skills. And in fact, if we step back for a minute, the pandemic really shifted the expectation of employees. So during the pandemic, people were hit with different things. Like in one week, a few months ago, I had three of my employees 
go to the emergency room. And in that same time period or a little bit longer time period, I had two other employees whose brothers had passed away from COVID. Um, Mm. Six months ago, I think it was, India was on lockdown. I have team members in India and Israel as well as different parts of the United States. So everybody has their own situation they're dealing with. And I would start every one-on-one with my team with, hey, how are you doing? How's your family doing right now? Because if an employee's not okay, they can't really be their best at work. And so employees want to be known as whole people, not just workers. And they're looking for more from their manager. And so Love Your Team is really born out of that need and the need for managers to do things differently, to personalize the experience, have empathy, understand their employees, and then support them so they can be their best and build high-performing teams as a result. It's interesting. In this country, we're different than a lot of countries, especially European ones, where they promote self-care. And that's always been part of it and time off and recharging. And here, I know there's a lot of fear during this shift for employees to be honest and to admit they are not 100% right now because the fear is they will be fired. They will be replaced they will not be seen as valuable if they are weak, if they are sick, if they are vulnerable, if they are honest with what is truly going on, how will they be perceived? And that's frightening, or it used to be, because as we have seen, that was the beginning. But now this is where the employees now hold all the cards. Potential staff holds all the cards. Yeah, you're so right. So the power has shifted to the employee. And there's a scarcity of top talent. Just in November alone, four and a half million people quit their jobs. And that's the most of any month on record ever. And what was particularly surprising to me is that was November going into the holidays and people spend more money typically during the holidays. And so it just really spoke volumes. And we've had an average of 4 million people quit their jobs over the last nine months each month. And that's unprecedented. And so there is a scarcity of talent and people are voting with their feet. We saw during the pandemic, on average, the data shows that people worked three hours longer a day. Microsoft did a research study that showed that on average, people were in a hundred and spent 148% more of their time in meetings. And so there was burnout and people felt like they were living at work. And plus they had the stress of homeschooling their kids or caring for sick and elderly people. And so really caused employees to go, wait a minute, what is this all about? Am I living to work or working to live? And so many people have quit their jobs. And the barrier to entry of starting your own company has never been lower. And so people can fashion a different kind of life for themselves. With the facts that you brought in, how many people are quitting each month? I'm curious, 
I don't know if there are any stats on this on how many are taking positions at other companies or are they staying quit and starting their own thing? I don't know those statistics. I do know there are millions of jobs that have gone unfilled. And I believe the way the Bureau of Labor Statistics does their numbers, I believe it's a net decrease. So if somebody has quit and then gets another job, that's kind of a flat number. But I don't know for sure how they do it. But what I do know is that the pandemic has hit women disproportionately, that women have quit in larger numbers than men because they're often tapped to be the caregivers or whether it's of kids or sick folks. And so it is expected that women will be slower to return to the workforce. And I think a lot of them, at least people in my circles, are rethinking of how much do they want to actually return? How much do they need to? This slower pace has offered all of us that reflection time. And when you and I have been talking about loving your team, there's a whole book that needs to be written. Hmm. There's a whole new handbook and guides and things that these sales managers need to learn. And we talked about all the different aspects and folks tell us your experience. Why did you quit? Did you quit? Did you start something new? Did your team quit on you? We would love to hear your stories because the deeper understanding we have, the the quicker we can improve to do it better and retain talent and secure talent. And if we get plopped into being in charge of a team. So that is the purpose of this. And I know this is our first episode, but we've got to give you some tools. Helen is here to help you guys understand it's okay. You can get good talent and you can keep them. We're going to show you how. Yeah, so it starts with empathy and understanding your employees for sure. So employees want to be known as whole people, not just workers. And the data shows that flexibility is super important to employees. So not only where people work, but when they work. And in fact, when it became clear to me that work from home was here to stay, my fiance Mm -hmm. and I bought a house in Port Townsend, Washington. I also have an apartment in Seattle because I realized I would not have to go back to the office with any regularity. And then about nine months later in February of 2021, we bought a house in Southern Arizona so we could escape the Washington state winters. And so flexibility is key. And in fact, one of my neighbors in Arizona works for a large manufacturer. And he said to me, if I'm forced to go back to the office, I'll quit my job. And so I think companies got a free ride in terms of geography. So they set up their headquarters in a location such as Seattle with great universities and a great talent pool. But now they're not just competing for customers, they're competing for talent. And in a world where anyone can work from anywhere, that talent may or may not be interested in working for somebody who is in their community. They may prefer to work for somebody who's on the other side of the globe. And in fact, top talent is probably not willing to go move for a job either because a lot of them may have children or families and they don't want to 
uproot their kids and their family and their community. So they're not moving. So that's another example of the shift to employees having the sellers having the power. And I like to think of it as treating your employees as customers, because they are another customer. And so once you understand kind of what makes your employees tick, it's then really important to figure out and have strategies for supporting them, reducing sales friction, helping them be successful. And there's a lot of conversations we can have around that, but that's kind of the crux of retaining talent and understanding and supporting their career objectives. But let's talk about what else companies can do. It isn't just retain talent, they have to innovate. Yeah, you bet, (laughs) you bet, so. And so what does that entail? Well, interesting you talk about innovation because innovation cannot happen without talent. And we're in an innovation economy. Innovation economy is fueling our livelihood and it's here to stay. And you know what's interesting is when people think about innovation, they think about engineers being the top talent. But in fact, I don't believe that to be the case at all, because if you build something, but you can't sell it or customers don't use it, then what's the point? And it's really the sellers that are the key to driving the innovation economy. And in fact, years ago, when I started my career, I started as a engineer working for IBM. And about a year into my career, I decided I didn't want to be in the back room making technology. I wanted to be out with customers. And so I transitioned from engineering to sales. And yes, and it's even easier to make products now with low code and no code. Well, it's much, much more complex to sell. So it's super ironic that when people think of innovation, they think of engineering. But in fact, the sellers are really the key role in driving the innovation economy wonderful perspective and shift from how it used to. And I don't think that's a new concept. I think that's always been there. And sometimes I think sales, it's like, oh, yeah, you you can teach somebody to sell about the engineers. (gasps) Who can learn that? That's so, and they put them on those pedestals rather than cheering on support. And how can I make your life easier, salesperson? How can I support you? How can I help you support your clients, your customers. And this is a very important shift. Yeah. So for years, people have been talking about consultative selling and helping customers use what they sell more effectively. So there Mm -hmm. is a distinction between what I would say the industrial economy, which is manufacturing widgets, machines, and the innovation economy, which is really centered around digital technology. And so now Mm -hmm. you will see traditional manufacturers of equipment not selling their equipment anymore, but literally selling equipment uptime. So they have data and tools to be able to anticipate predictive maintenance and that sort of thing. And so it's a much more sophisticated sale to sell uptime than it is to sell an industrial piece of equipment. And so 
that is part of the shift because it used to be in the industrial age that sellers offloaded manufacturers inventory and now sellers are actually selling innovation and because all the digital technology has more complexity but also more buyers within a company and digital technology is connected to a lot of different systems a seller has to be more sophisticated and in some cases act more as a change agent to help that customer see the possibility and help them be able to derive value from that innovation. So as an example, think about a CRM system, customer relationship management system. If you're selling that, one of the first questions will be, well, how do I connect that to my financial system or my quota retirement system or maybe you know there is a service application that it needs to connect with and it is likely that that CRM system will be used not only by the sales team but also the customer support and service team and marketing so you have a lot more stakeholders in the decision not to mention legal, compliance, privacy, security officers. It's a very, very oh, different animal than it used to be. And did people remember in the days of, was it Filefox or something, where it was just your little personal, basically your Rolodex, dating myself, <laughs> but it was yours. Yeah. And you could keep all your notes and do all your things, and it was yours, and it just stayed very contained. That was 20 years ago, and now you're right. It has to be integrated. It has to be integrated with pay-per-click, with ad campaigns, with everything to right. measure. Right, and every company is going through that transition from a traditional product company to a software company. Honeywell is one of my customers. They are transitioning into an industrial software company. And so there's a lot of implications to that. And it's all about being competitive. So if you can't retain the talent, then it's really tough to be competitive. So sales managers go from being maybe a less than appreciated role in a company to one of the most important roles in a company because they're the pivot point to enabling, one, the retention of their talent and also helping support that talent to be effective in building a high-performance sales team. It's often said that people, that people leave their managers, not their companies. And so is the sales manager a liability or is the sales manager an asset to retaining talent? So we'll have to give them some tools and some hope on how to do all of that. But you brought up a good point before we wrap up this episode. I love the fact that you talked about coming from an engineering background. You're not just any engineer. You graduated from MIT. But the creative viewpoints to look at things from different angles, when people get into sales, as we are leaving our jobs and we are coming to new jobs, new careers, it's a shift also for those hiring for those sales positions to not just say, oh, have you been in tech? Have you been in here? It might be an artist. It might be a photographer artist. It might be an engineer that looks at things differently differently which can be a huge asset 
And if they don't have any bad habits from being in sales before, what an opportunity to bring in these wonderful new skills and mold it into the type of salesperson you need and can nurture, support, and help grow to a huge success. That's exciting. Yeah, it has to be the right profile for the right role. But the data also shows that people who are buying products actually value a diverse sales team with diverse perspectives. And ironically, at least in tech, I don't know about other industries, but at least in tech, most of the sellers are men. And there's diversity of thought and other attributes that lead to diversity. But I do think that there's a lot more skills that can be tapped and applied if someone has an interest in selling because we have to do things different. We have to innovate. And if we hire people that have the same mindset or same background as ourselves, we miss out on new ideas. And I learned a long time ago, like when I first became a manager, I thought that my job was to tell people what to do. And I quickly learned, (laughs) I quickly learned that my team had way better ideas and approaches to solving problems than I have. And so I realized that my job was to set expectations for outcomes and how they went about and delivered those outcomes was up to them. That's a great thought and a good place to wrap this episode up. So folks, with all the importance placed on sales management, we've addressed there is a problem because sales managers have not been equipped to retain this new wealth of talent that is not tethered to a location that can be anywhere that can have diverse ideas, diverse experiences. And we know that the power has suddenly shifted to that seller, to that talent. And that's going to be the topic of our next episode, which is the power has shifted to talent. So be sure to find us on all your favorite podcast venues and be sure to follow Love Your Team with Helen Finucci. Helen, this has been a great episode. Ready for the next one? Yes. Thank you, Susan. Thank you for joining us for the Love Your Team podcast. Please subscribe and review us in all your favorite podcast venues. Share this show with your own team. If you have topics or guests to suggest, please let us know. Love your team at funnelradio.com.